This morning, we have a huge privilege. Uh, Pastor Russ is uh, out of town this week, uh, so we have the honor of hearing a great friend uh, come and share with us this morning. He has been around One Chapel from day one. Um, He's been around uh, Ross uh, from day one because he's Ross's dad. Um, And so he's... He's such a great well, a deep well of spiritual wisdom uh, and insight, and I am so grateful that he gets to speak into the life of One Chapel. Uh, so would you guys please help me welcome Pastor Ken Parsley. Thank you, Alan, for that uh, lovely introduction. And I just want to add to Jan's testimony that if you're trying to quit coffee, Bondage Breakers is not for you. (laughs) It's an honor for me to be able to share with you today. Some of you I know well from uh, some of our encounter activities, which we've had here, the Wednesday night worship nights. But this is my first opportunity to come and speak at Lake Travis One Chapel, since it became uh, Lake Travis One Chapel. And so I'm very excited to meet you all and to be able to share with you from the Word of God today. And I hope that before you leave today, you'll come by and uh, say hi to me uh, if I don't get a chance to come by and say hi to you. Also, it's nice to be here with Courtney and the Walker family. And if you have not met uh, Courtney, who is Pastor Russ's wife, uh, she's sitting down here on the front row. And uh, she probably doesn't like to be pointed out or have to stand at times like this. But uh, as, as a guest, I want to give honor where honor is due. And we appreciate so much of the investment that the Walker family has made in this local church and in this area. And we believe that it's just beginning to bear fruit. And on Easter, it's going to be a great opportunity for you to invite your friends to come and share with you in this wonderful uh, fellowship that is One Chapel Lake Travis. So I would like to get a little bit acquainted with you today. And so one of the best ways to do that is to tell a story on myself. How many uh, people are in here who are 17, 18, 19 years old? How many? You got any 17, 18, 19 year old people in here? There's a... (laughs) There's some who wish they were 17, 18, or 19. I had uh, had just gone to Bible school in 1962, and I was about 18 years of age, and I was uh, very passionate for the things of God, and I wanted to be available to witness for the Lord whenever I could. But, you know, you're kind of, you have some trepidation when it comes to things like that. Uh, We all struggle with how do we start the conversation? How do we introduce the subject? And so I always had that kind of on my mind as a young uh, uh, perspective uh, preacher in Bible school. I wanted to serve the Lord the best of my ability. So one day, I'm driving down 7th Avenue in Long Beach, California in my 56 uh, Chevy. 
Still wish I had it, yes. And so the junior high school, which is on Long Beach Junior High School, just let out. So there was a, a young junior high school boy that was walking down 7th Avenue and he was hitchhiking. Now you know that his mother had told him not to hitchhike, right? But I saw it as an opportunity to witness. And so I pulled over and I picked the kid up thinking, I'm going to tell this kid about Jesus and who knows what may happen. But as he got in and closed the door and I pulled out on 7th Avenue, I, I couldn't think of how to open the conversation. And so I thought about it for several seconds and I finally looked over to him and I said, are you ready to die? And he said, what, what, what are you talking about? <clears throat> and his mother flashed before his mind, I'm sure. <clears throat> and so I saw that I'd made him nervous by my introduction. <laughs> so I said, no, 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 don't worry about it. I said, just open the glove compartment. I've got something in there for you. <laughs> so... <clears throat> Obviously, I had a gospel track. I wanted to give him one, but he didn't know that. He thought I had a gun in there. I was going to shoot him. So about that time, we pulled up to the red light on 7th Avenue, opened the door, and boom, out he went. <laughs> that boy is still telling that story today about how close he came to being a victim. Probably never hitchhiked again either. So in, uh, in your notes today, and I hope you picked up a copy when you came in, there are several blanks which we're going to be um, filling in, hopefully. And usually women like to fill in the blanks and men don't like to fill in the blanks. And uh, <clears throat> so that means that the women, when they get home, they remember more of the sermon, sermon than uh, men do. So our... Our text today is 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. But on your notes it says 2 Timothy. Because I made the mistake when I sent it in for printing. So please change that to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. And I'm going to kind of continue the series that you've been on entitled Frequency. In which Pastor Russ has covered this subject of hearing from God very well. I've reviewed the messages that he has given, and if you would like to review them, I'm sure the podcasts are available, onechapel.com. You're welcome to go and hear those messages and kind of get the sense of what God is speaking to this congregation. So in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1, just taking the first few words of that portion of Scripture, says, now the Spirit speaks expressly. This is the King James Version. Now the Spirit speaks expressly. In some of the translations it says explicitly. Now it goes on to talk about in this particular portion of Scripture how that many will uh, depart from the faith and give a heed to seducing spirits and various things. And it's not a very exciting uh, warning that the Apostle Paul was giving to Timothy here. But I wanted to focus on this particular 
uh, phrase because I want to talk to you about hearing God speak to me or hearing God speak to you. Or the subtitle of this message is, Does God Have a Twitter Account? That's what we want to find out. So we know already this is the information age and everything flows on information. And whatever it is, information must be fast. Some of you probably have a flip phone here in this uh, auditorium. And uh, it's probably really slow. If you want to text, you've got to go you know, through a whole rigmarole, which is complicated. So if we're going to have information coming to us or going from us, it has to be fast. We even buy our media from all kinds of sources to satisfy our need to communicate. And I don't know if you've done this. I have. I've added up how much I spend per month in order to have communication either come to me or communication go from me to other people. Have you ever done that? I suggest you do it if you haven't, because you probably are spending more than you think you are to get information. So we have so many things that we use for information today, like email, Snapchat, Pinterest, texting, Twitter, and more. So many apps that are available for the iOS or for the uh, Android people. You know, there's two kinds of people. There's the... Apple people and there's the Android people. But both of them have lots of ways that they can get stuff on their phone and they can communicate and share information. So I need to find out today how many in this room have a Twitter account. Let's see your hand. Raise it up high. Now this side is ahead so far. Okay, so there's a few in here. This is a, this is a tough crowd. Because uh, there's a little, you know, more mature group here. But, <laughs> but there's enough young people in here that I'm, I'm on safe ground to talk about Twitter. Now, I only email, text, and call. That's it. And the rest of it is kind of a mystery to me. I do have several apps on my phone, which I use from time to time. I have learned how to get around with Google Maps and various other things. So I, I do use some other things. But as far as communication with other people, uh, I don't have a Twitter account. Now, Twitter has been on our minds lately because our new president has a penchant for using that mode of communication. Have you noticed that? <laughs> he is in such deep water over the stuff he puts out on Twitter. So let me ask the second question then. How many here know how Twitter works? Lift your hand. Those of you who, some of you know how Twitter works apparently, but you don't have a Twitter account. Is that how I understand that? So even if we use a Twitter account, we may not know or understand exactly how it works. Here's my thinking. I imagine that once we type in the message and press send, that ends our understanding of how Twitter works. <laughs> but 
it does go on to some unknown place, and it's broadcast to some unknown equipment somewhere, and then it reaches our followers within seconds, and magically, all our friends and followers know what we think in 140 characters or less. It's amazing how that happens. Here's my point for this morning's message. We use it, we trust it, even though we may not know exactly how it works. We receive and send without doubting. So the premise is, as Christ followers, we often struggle to believe the God who created the worlds can or will communicate to us in a positive, helpful way, though he has been doing it for thousands of years. Do you ever question that God's communicating to you? If God had a Twitter account, we would use it with confidence, no problem. So my testimony is that I have been a Christian for over 60 years. And I began to hear the Holy Spirit speak to me when I was about 10 years old. The first memory I have of this experience was when we had an evangelist in our small church uh, by the name of F.B. McPeak. And uh, F.B. McPeak was an, a really old guy. Probably not as old as I am now, but I thought he was really old. And so I was 10 years old, and the Holy Spirit was moving upon my heart as he preached that uh, day in the church. And when the altar time came, I went forward as a child, and I was weeping, and I was in a line of people. I remember this so uh, strongly. And Brother McPeak came by, and he leaned down, and he said, little fella, he had big, gnarly hands, he said, little fella, what can I pray for you about? And through tears, I said, I want to be a preacher. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit was moving upon my heart and calling me to himself and to the work of God. And even though at that age I didn't really understand it, I'm ever thankful that I had the opportunity as a child to respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit as he spoke to me on that day. And then about a year later, on September the 11th, 1955, I received water baptism in the river in Yakima, Washington. I remember it so very well, wading out into that water, swimming around as a kid would do, and having my turn when it came to being dipped in the waters of baptism and have the pastors and elders pray over me. It was a powerful thing. And that very night... In an evangelistic meeting, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And my life was impacted so powerfully during that time. And I have remembered for these last 60 years the, the impact of that experience on my life and the interaction and voice of God as He spoke to me in my heart. And then one more experience I'll share with you, which was at a camp meeting in... Uh, about 1960, August of 1960, I remember going to the altar and praying, and that was a big 
open tabernacle, sawdust on the floor. And I remember kneeling in that sawdust and ultimately laying there on my back seeking the Lord for a couple of hours while God confirmed in my heart at 15 years of age that I was going to preach the gospel. So throughout my life, I have regularly heard God speak to me by His Spirit, through His Word, through trusted leaders, through prophetic gifts, by inner promptings of His Spirit, for guidance, for instruction, to receive and give messages which would help others to know God's voice as well. So what I want to know from you today is that God is wanting to speak to you and are you open to hear His voice. He has you upon His Twitter list, if you will, of followers, and He's ready to communicate to you right now in this service. The Holy Spirit wants to come and have an interaction, a communication with you. You came to church today for the purpose of worship. You came to church today to experience God in a very real way. And I'm here to tell you today that God is anxious, willing, and ready to speak to your heart right now. There's three big ideas I'd like to share with you on this subject today. The first one is that God communicated with mankind before there was a Bible written. I think that might be your first fill in the blank. God communicated with mankind before there was a Bible written. The second one is that God caused His Word the Logos, to be written down for all mankind. And the third point I want to share with you today is that God communicates to mankind by His Spirit. So let's talk about the first one for a few minutes. God communicated with mankind before there was ever a Bible written. As evangelical people, we place a lot of confidence in the Bible. We talk about the Bible as the Word of God as we should, for the Bible speaks of itself in those terms. But God is not limited to the Bible when He wants to communicate to you. Now, some of us may have been trained that we have to hear God's voice through the written Word or we won't hear God's voice at all. But I'm here to say today that the Holy Spirit is active and alive and functioning in this house and in your life so that He can speak to you, have a communication, a conversation, if you will, uh, in your heart outside the use of the written page. Because before there was ever a word written down of this book, God was communicating to mankind. He spoke to Adam and Eve in the cool of the day in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8 says there that God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And that seems to have been their their regular habit was that God would come, fellowship with them in the cool of the day. And on this occasion, Adam and Eve were hiding. Why? Because they'd eaten of the forbidden fruit. And so they didn't want to uh, talk with God that day. 
you probably had some experience like that yourself. Didn't necessarily want God to have any communication with you because you had some forbidden fruit in your life. But the point being that God was ready, willing to communicate to them and he came for the express purpose of fellowshipping with them in the cool of the day and he spoke to them. He also spoke to Cain a little later on about his offering. You know, Cain brought something from the ground and Abel brought something from the flock and God was pleased with Abel's offering but not with Cain's. And so God had this conversation with Cain about his offering and Cain was angry because the favor was shown to Abel who brought something from the flock and he was not uh, given favor because he brought something from the ground. Why was that? Because the ground was cursed, right? So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And they had this little conversation. And, and it's interesting if you read in, the, in, in Genesis there that God, in spite of Cain's behavior, uh, he, he uh, protected him. Interesting to read that in Genesis chapter 4. If you go a little further in the book of Genesis, uh, he spoke to Noah. God came and visited Noah. And I'd like to look at this scripture, if you wouldn't mind turning with me, in Genesis chapter 7 and verse 1. Then the Lord said to Noah, Come into the ark, you and your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. That's a pretty good word right there. Noah had a a conversation with God where God expressed his favor and pleasure with him because he was righteous in his generation. If you go to chapter 9 and verse 8, just a few pages over, notice that God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. Verse 13, I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be for a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. So we're all familiar with that story from the Bible, right? That, that Noah was building this great boat and, and God assured Noah that there would no longer be a flood of that kind of destructive power upon the earth and he set the rainbow in the clouds. And so today we see the rainbow ourselves and we're reminded of God's covenant with Noah. Now, Noah was just a normal guy. These people that we read about in the book of Genesis, these are people who were normal, like you and me. Now we think that the people we read about in the Bible were somehow in this increased spiritual dimension and therefore they had these conversations with God. But God created man and looked just like you and me. And he communicated with them in the same way that he communicates with you and me. So God made a covenant with Noah, according to the scripture, not to destroy the earth. And this is the beginning 
of the formalizing of communication with mankind that God began to do. He made the covenant with Noah. And you can read about that further in the book of Genesis if you like. This kind of communication between God and individuals continued through Genesis with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all the way to Moses, who is credited with writing the Pentateuch, or the first five books of the Bible. And Moses kind of wrote down these first five books to give us a record of God's dealing with man up to that that time. And these writings codified God's communication with mankind and set the stage for the development of the Old Testament, which records the communication he had with the nation of Israel through prophets and kings. Now, when we think about God communicating to these people in the early going, we sometimes forget that there were no written records of this. There was no Bible for them to refer to. This was something which God initiated with these individuals in order to bring about His will in the earth. And so it was not until Moses was inspired by God to record what had been happening up to that time, that mankind in future days was able to read what had taken place with those ancestors of theirs. So God spoke with people before ever the Scriptures were written. But then, God caused the Scriptures to be written down. These records, which we have in the Holy Bible, are preserved for us so that we would have a knowledge of His will upon the earth. And this is known as the Logos, God's general word for mankind. It's the Greek word, Logos, God's general word for mankind. Now, in the Old Testament... We basically have the history of Israel, the nation of Israel, its formation uh, from Moses to Malachi. These are people that he chose. In fact, he created them out of Abraham. He created them for the purpose of bringing the Messiah into the world. And these words and documents which we have in the Old Testament, all of the books, the minor prophets, the major prophets, the poetic books, the historical books, these all have a purpose so that we might understand how God dealt with the nation of Israel as He was formulating His will in the earth so that He might bring the Lord Jesus Christ as the Messiah into the earth that He might be the sacrifice For all our sin. And so he gave throughout the Old Testament several covenants to men like Moses, Abraham, and David, which foreshadowed his will about the coming of Jesus, who provides salvation for the whole world. And then there was silence for about 400 years. In Malachi chapter 4 and verse 1 and 2a, it talks about how the Son of Righteousness was going to rise with healing in His wings. This was a prophetic word about Jesus coming 
and the work that he was going to do. But it was interesting that it was really the last word that was heard from God formally before the birth of Jesus and the life of Jesus and then the recording of the Gospels and so forth. Now this is called the intertestament period. So if you want to know about the intertestament period, then you just say to your phone, There you go. See there? And you can look it up on your phone. And you can find all about the 400 years in which God was silent. Now Israel, uh, what was left of it at that time, was experiencing some very difficult times during that 400 years. They were under some very harsh rulers. They had some very serious persecutions. But what this 400 years did is it prepared Israel for the coming of the Messiah. Even though they were not aware of it and were not cognizant in their minds that God was preparing them as a nation during this 400 years, that what we see recorded in the Gospels about the Jewish nation, about the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, about the temple and all of those things, those things were formulated during that 400 years. So it is an important period of time to pay attention to. But we don't have anything written from God during that period of time to remind us what was happening there. Although the history of Israel and the history of the earth continued on. Then came the New Testament. The New Testament's written primarily in Greek, as you perhaps know, and God began to communicate to the world about His church. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 21, it says that holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now the New Testament has a different purpose than the Old Testament. The New Testament records the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies about Christ's coming and the fact that the Gentiles would be added in to the church under the, old, uh, under the New Covenant. In fact, there's about 800 references from the Old Testament in the New Testament, and those concepts and Prophecies and various other records are carried over and quoted by the writers of the New Testament so that we might understand there's a connection and you can't just sever it at the intertestinal period and say that's the Old Testament, this is the New Testament and never the twain shall meet because the New Testament writers and the Holy Spirit by inspiration connected the two because... God had something He wanted us to know from the Old Testament. So the New Testament also records the earthly life of Jesus, His death, His resurrection, and the coming of the Holy Spirit, which are the keys to communication with God, becoming personal and available to everyone upon the earth. Now what do I mean by that? I mean that if you don't have the death and resurrection of Jesus, we don't have a living Savior. 
If we don't have a living Savior who was to send us the Holy Spirit and did so in the book of Acts, we don't have the ability to communicate with God through the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who is in each one of us and wants to stimulate our communication with God. He wants to not only be a receptor of God's communication to us so that we can understand the will of God, but He wants us to be able to communicate to Him through prayer and through worship like we were doing today. And there is, there is a vital union, if you will, between the Holy Spirit and the church because of the work of Jesus that He did in dying for our sins and raising again from the dead. And then the New Testament also records the birth of the church and provides a pattern for ongoing com communion with people of faith throughout the New Testament. And for us today, all we have to do is look through the New Testament and we can see that God has a unique ability by His Spirit to address every believer in the whole world. In fact, if they were willing, he would be able to speak to every person in the whole world. It's just as though he had this eternal Twitter account and he can just write it out and send it out and behold, all of a sudden, we're aware of God working in our midst. So this is how God communicates to us under the new covenant. God communicates to his church by his spirit. This is the personal mode of communication that God has for each one of you here today. He's ready to talk to you. He wants to communicate to you right here and right now. He's desiring to speak to you and to have you respond to him in this very moment. I'd like to give you a scripture about this, if you'd like to turn to it in the book of John, uh, chapter 16. The book of John, chapter 16. This has been one of the most powerful revelations of my Christian experience. And I'd like you to understand it. I'd like for you to believe what Jesus said here. In John chapter 16, beginning at verse 7. Jesus is talking, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So Jesus said it's better for all of us if he didn't stay here upon the earth. Because if the Holy Spirit would come, the Comforter would come the helper would come, the paraclete. In the Greek, the word is paraclete, which means one who's called alongside to help. 
That's what the Holy Spirit is for you and for me. Notice in verse 13, this revelation. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears from God, He will speak, and He will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, Jesus said. The Holy Spirit will glorify Jesus upon the earth. For He will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Now, wrap your head around this just for a moment, if you would. The Holy Spirit's job is to take what is mine, Jesus said. Just kind of go like that in your mind's eye. What, is, what belongs to Jesus, the Holy Spirit's job is to deliver it to you. That's what Jesus himself said here. And notice verse 15. All things that the Father has are mine. So Jesus said, everything that the Father has, he gives to the Son. Everything the Son has, which is everything the Father had, belongs to the Son. And the Spirit is going to take whatever the Father and the Son have and declare it to you. That progression, God the Father takes what He has. What does God have? He owns it all. Cattle on a thousand hills are His. They used to say in my childhood, and all the taters under the hill. (laughs) All belongs to God. And he gives it to Jesus, and Jesus gives it to the Spirit so that he would declare it to you. This is proof positive in the words of Jesus that God, through the Holy Spirit, wants to declare himself to you, to speak to you in your spirit man, so you will know his specific and personal word for your life, a rhema word. Not just a Logos word, a general word of God, which we would find written down in Scripture. Not just the Logos, but the Rhema word. That word which comes by the Spirit into your heart. And it's coming right now as you are open to the Holy Spirit's communion with you. A Rhema word is coming into your heart even now. A personal word for your life. How can God speak to me, you ask? Let me tell you a couple of personal stories as I close today. My wife Sharon is unable to be here with us today. She's in Washington with her family. We just lost her sister-in-law a few days ago. My wife is a very spiritual and prophetic person. Those of you who've had the opportunity to hear her minister in prayer to you in the various encounters, you know that she is in touch with the Lord. Well, a number of years ago, when our children were teenagers, we didn't allow them to go to high school dances. And um, 
That didn't mean that they didn't go to dances. It means that we didn't allow them to go to dances. So one day, house is going well, everything's good, kids are cleaning the rooms like they're supposed to. And uh, they went out for the evening like they did every weekend and, you know, did whatever teenagers do when they go out and get away from their parents. Parents, this is a clue. (laughs) So Sharon and I are driving around the city and I'd gotten out of the car to go into a store to pick up something. And when I got back in the car, she said, the Lord just spoke to me and said that the children have gone to a dance. (laughs) Well, of course, the Lord didn't tell her exactly where the dance was, else we might have gone and got them out of the dance. But uh, the Lord spoke to her and gave her this word of knowledge that the children had gone to a dance. And so we went home, like normal, waited till they came in, They walked in two or three minutes before 11, just like they were supposed to. They were happy. They'd had a wonderful time. And as they walked in the door, Sharon spoke up and she said, How did you enjoy the dance? (laughs) And all their mouths fell open. And they said, How did you know we were at a dance? And she said, The Holy Spirit told me. So the word of knowledge can come to you by the Spirit and you can have that kind of communication with God. Another story is about uh, my wife's sister Sally and her son Randy. Randy was the third child born in that family and at about nine months of age he developed a nodule on his neck. And so his mother took him into the doctor and the doctor said, don't worry about it. Uh, We'll take it off in a couple of years when he's two or three years old. It'll be a lot easier on him then. Don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. So Sally took the baby home, obeying the doctor's instructions. And as she's standing the next day at the kitchen sink doing dishes, the Lord spoke to her and said, Schedule Randy's surgery. And Sally was a very spiritual woman, and she was obedient to the Lord. And she went back to the doctor's office and she pressed him to schedule the surgery, which he did. And they went in on that little baby and they found that there was a growth in that child's throat, which had already tentacles wrapped around his vocal cords and going down his left arm. And the surgery took about five hours to do and they took out much of the muscle on his left arm. The doctors, of course, were surprised at the severity of this growth. And when they came out after five hours, they said to the parents, "Uh, we're we're sorry, but Randy will never have the use of his left arm again. We had to take out so much muscle. So later on, when the doctor came in to check Randy, of course, he's now only nine months old, The doctor leaned over his tie, leaned over the baby, and Randy reached up with his left hand and took that tie. Now, Randy 
went on to become quite a remarkable singer as well. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, as I was having the funeral service for our sister-in-law, Randy, sang a couple of songs. When if his mother hadn't have listened to the voice of the Holy Spirit, and there was a miracle took place in that regard, no telling what Randy's life would or would not have been. God spoke to her in a very clear voice. One more story, and I'll finish with this. A number of years ago, again, I was in the throes of a decision about my life and what we should do about our family and my work. I was working at the time for Oral Roberts University. I was represented, representing that uh, ministry in Western Canada. <clears throat> and I had been invited by a local church there to take an associate pastor's position. Now, I'd been a pastor all my life, and uh, I loved my work at ORU. Our children went to ORU. Four of our six children graduated from ORU. And these Walker children are following as a, are some of my own grandchildren. Three of our grandchildren are in Oral Roberts University in one way or another at this time. So it was, uh, it was a very important decision. It was more important because... Uh, Pastor Ross, who was the oldest of our children, he was the first one to go to school. Uh, he and, um, and, and Brad, I think it was, <clears throat> were, uh, were just eligible for a big bunch of money because I worked for the university. And so I was struggling because if I left the employee of the university, then they would lose about $20,000 and and I was struggling with this very much. But the strong pull of, of the pastorate and the desire to do the will of God, uh, we went to a cabin, Sharon and Brad and uh, Brent and uh, Lori, Sharon and I, and we were there in this mountain cabin up above Yakima, Washington, and we were, I was seeking the Lord. I say I because they were playing cards at the kitchen table. <laughs> And I was reading this book by, um, by um, I'll, think of the, I'll think of the name in a moment. Uh, when it, when the, this author was asked, what do you uh, give uh, credibility to your ministry? How, how do you do that? He said, I read the word of God, I pray in tongues, and then I do what the Holy Spirit says to do. And when I read those words my spirit leaped up within me and I actually cried out as I was sitting there in that cabin. And a spirit of prayer came over me and I went into the bedroom and I began to pray and to weep before the Lord and to wait upon God. And I did agonize before the Lord in prayer over this decision for about 45 minutes. And after 45 minutes, God spoke to me in my spirit and he said these words, this is what I've prepared for you to do. Don't miss the hour of your visitation. I went out of that cabin with a sure word from the Lord, divine direction for my life, and took the job in the church. As a result of that, my daughter married a good Canadian. <laughs> we have some wonderful grandchildren as a result. 
We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what the future is going to be. But today, we need to hear the voice of God for our life, for divine direction. Today, God wants you to have a personal word about your life. And if you're open to it, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. Do you have some relationship issues? Are you struggling with something in a relationship, in a marriage? Do you have a question about what you should do about your job? Should you change? Should you move locations? Do you have financial issues that you're struggling with and you'd like God to speak to you about them? Do you have some behaviors in your life that you wish weren't there and you'd wish that God would come and help you to overcome them? Do you need to know His will about something in your life? Do you have a besetting sin? Something that's troubling you and has for a long time and God wants to speak to you today about that and help you overcome. Perhaps you just need spiritual growth and you want to further your experience with God and you want to open your heart to His communication about that. Today I want you to receive a rhema word from God. So I want you to pray with me right now. Before I pray this prayer, I want to ask you to consider whether or not you have a desire to hear from God about one of these things or something else that I perhaps didn't mention. And you just lift up your hand and say, Pastor Parsley, I want to hear from God in my life. I want to commune with the Lord about some things in my life. Lift up your hand if it's a sincere desire in your heart. Uh, There's no magic about lifting up your hand. There's nothing that's going to happen to you right now as a result of it. But I want you by faith to lift up your hand because I I believe it helps us to open up our, our heart and be ready for the communication that we can receive from the Lord. All right, you may put your hand down. So Father, I pray over these dear folks that have lifted their hands today. They have a genuine desire to hear the voice of God. And over these weeks that we've been talking about how to get on God's frequency, today we have heard the story of how you desire to take what the Father has and you want to declare it to our heart. So I pray in Jesus' name, whether it be an issue of relationships, of finances, of jobs, of location, what it might be in our life, that you would speak to us today, in this moment, and throughout the day today, as we go to our prayer closet, speak to our hearts, and open up a dialogue with us, that we might be able to commune with you, in Jesus' name. Touch our hearts today and draw us to yourself in a fresh, a new way that we might advance in the cause of Christ and accomplish your perfect will in our life in Jesus' name.